and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Eric Rogers is a natural-born leader and entrepreneur, and is the owner, operator, and CEO of Rogers Fitness Academy. Even though fitness and bodybuilding are his absolute passion, there is so much more to him than that. Eric has persevered through some of the worst things a person can endure, homelessness, addiction, violence, abuse, mental health disorders, incarceration, and more. During his darkest moments, Eric almost ended his life, which is when he decided to pursue a disciplined life and focus on fitness and nutrition. After battling and conquering some of life's biggest challenges, Eric is now a devoted family man, successful businessman, and mentor to others that are struggling and striving to become the best they can be, and uses the exact techniques that helped him to change the lives of others. Now his goal is simple, to spread this powerful message. You are what you strive to be if you put in the time and work. Eric Rogers, what an honor it is to welcome you to Boundless Body Radio. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Such a cool honor. You are in uh, Sacramento, is that right? Yeah, I'm right in the foothills uh, east of Sacramento, luckily. <laughs> near, uh, I, I'm near I'm near Tahoe, you know, an hour away from Lake Tahoe, so it's pretty nice up here. Nice. Oh, that's great. Um, people talked a lot of trash about Sacramento, and I remember yeah, I visited there's a reason it. why. <laughs> Is there a reason? I, I must have only been in the nicer areas then, if that's the case. There are nice areas here. There, I mean, I'd say the outskirts of the city are nice in certain parts, but there's just there's a pit and back in the day, Sacramento was like rated one of the best cities in America when they were, you know, when, when they had their growth spurt, there's a lot of money to be made there. And, uh, you know, it was a, a nice suburban area and man, just a lot of homeless. And I mean, I'm not one to talk cause I used to be one of them, <laughs> but there's a lot of, you know, a lot of drug, uh, a lot of gangs and a lot of homeless people uh, that wander and a lot of, a lot of crime out here and it's you know i'm lucky to live about an hour away from it mm. but you head down there and it's it's starting to starting to look like san francisco wow pretty quick dang that's too bad yeah yeah i must yeah. have avoided all of that the times that i was visiting sacramento as i was instagram instagram stalking you um i noticed a picture that you took recently in a building that was actually really special to me and the reason why i was going to sacramento um at least a few times was to grand open the lifetime fitness in roseville which you were just at so cool Okay. Yeah. I was just there last week yeah. for the first time, actually. Oh, that's amazing. It's a beautiful gym. Yeah, it really is. We, I, I had to go out there to help them open. I want to say in like 2015 and the people were amazing. The training staff was amazing. And yeah, it was a really cool area of town. I also remember a place I want to say it's called Jack's that had, um, the best tri-tip I've ever had in my life <laughs> right in that neighborhood. Huh, I haven't been there yet. I'm going to check it out. I'll write that down. <laughs> it's on your list. It's on your awesome. list. Man, well, yeah. as we mentioned in the introduction, you have lived a um, a hell of a life already. Um, I would love to deep dive into your story and how you know such tumultuous times found you in your life. Yeah, man. Um, yeah, I'll get to it. I don't want to take the whole podcast from you because it's a long story. I'll just be real with you. Um, you know, I spent the better part of my life in darkness and you know, from the age of seven to about 24, you know, I struggled every day, every single day. And a lot of it was caused by the beginning of it. You know, I, at seven years old, I was, you know, put in a situation of heavy trauma, extreme trauma that changed my life forever. You know, at the age of seven, I was, you know, I was sexually molested by my Sunday school teacher and uh, it just changed me, bro. It, it was hurtful. I didn't tell anybody. Actually, I didn't start talking about it till this year. 
it's something I repressed. It's something that I put away and, you know, actually believed that it never happened. It was, it was that bad. And I think the reason why I repressed it so much is because I knew I had to go to Sunday school every week and I was going to tell my parents, I was going to deal with it myself. Um, and the week after, uh, you know, the next Sunday I, I headed to church, I decided to take matters into my own hands and I actually poured a cap full of bleach into her coffee and wow. I tried to kill her. Wow. Yeah. And I was seven years old and I just, for some reason, I remember my mom saying like bleach was poison and talking like, don't touch it. Don't get near it. And, and that just sparked a, a thought. I'm like, you know what? Like I hated this woman. She, she destroyed me. And so I, I handled it on my own. And like I said, this is very repressed because I was young. It's hard to even remember things that young, but I do remember those two key things. And, you know, from that moment on, obviously she didn't die. She got really sick, but what, what that did is it scared me. I thought I was going to get in trouble. And so like, that was the real reason I repressed that memory. And I, I didn't want to admit it. I didn't want to tell anyone because I didn't want to get in trouble. Um, and so I, you know, repressing that memory as a, as a seven-year-old will cause, you can imagine some pretty deep trauma and emotional issues and going through my childhood, my parents really didn't know what was wrong with me. I didn't tell them. Nobody did. Nobody knew. I was just different from my brother and sister. I was different from everybody else. I was, I was depressed. I was suicidal. I was, you know, it, I was an extremist, just negative and just a, a bad, a, a bad kid. Right. And because of that, I was treated differently than my brother and sister were. And, you know, over years of, of being treated differently, like in a way that I would consider not okay, uh, some physical and definitely emotional abuse from every member of my family besides my mom, it just drove me deeper and deeper and deeper. Um, at the age of eight, I started using drugs that I'd find in the house, you know, my mom's prescriptions. I didn't really know what they were, but I, I found one of her painkiller bottles. I tapped into it and I, I loved it. You know, it was the first time I felt normal, like I could cope and I, I didn't feel the pain. And, you know, I was actually worth something and I was, I, I could socialize and, you know, I was funny and it, everything just felt okay. And so I just knew that I had to chase that feeling. Um, it, it kept those painful, that the darkness away from me. And it pulled me out of the suicidal thoughts. Like I I'm one to say that drugs actually saved my life. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. Th for a very long time. Think about that. I mean, <laughs> quite the statement. Right. Yeah, no, it's crazy. Like without them, I don't think I'd be here. Um, but then they also caused me a lot of darkness, a lot more pain. You know, you can imagine an eight year old, just growing up, finding any drug he could. Like, I mean, I was taking, drinking bottles of Robitussin. I would do anything I could taking like four doses of Benadryl at, at 10, 12, and whatever I could get my hands on that I knew would put me in an altered state of mind. So I didn't have to think about, you know, what was happening, not only from my family because of my behavior, you know, getting basically bullied at home, you know, called all sorts of names but from obviously what happened at the age of seven. And so getting into high school, um, I, I mean, I became extremely violent and I, you know, I get into fights and for no reason. 
and I just act out and, you know, I was always in trouble. Um, you know, I got sent away at, you know, my, well, I got expelled my junior year and then I got sent away my senior year. My parents just didn't want to deal with me anymore. So they sent me away to another school where they took care of me full time. And, you know, I destroyed that too. I went down there and basically I got kicked out within, you know, a couple of months and sent back home. Um, and then when I got back home, I got into some cocaine. I started, I started taking Coke. I started, you know, realizing I really love, I really love the uppers. I really love cocaine. And I started selling it basically got all my friends hooked on it. Um, you know, I basically sold to make enough money to buy my, my next fix. And, you know, at the, you know, one day my dad went through my stuff, he found some, and I got that call. He's like, he's like, get your shit out of my house. I don't, you know, you're, you're no longer allowed to live here. Wow. You're done. And he didn't give me, he didn't help. You know, I didn't, it wasn't like intervention, bro. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Like wow. where they, you know, they, they at least offer you help. It was like, bye, you will not step foot into this house again. Wow. And that's when like, you know, I, I just realized I was homeless. I had a job. I was working at round table. I, I was living in my car and man, I, I lived out on the streets for a long time. But the first night, actually I was homeless. I went over to a so-called friend's house and, you know, I was telling them what happened. I told him like, I got to quit. I got to stop doing this. And the next morning when we woke up, he's, he was, you know, taking a bump of something white and, um, you know, he's like, you want a bump? And I was like, yeah, of course. Right. So, you know, I took a bump and it turned out it was methamphetamines. Uh, yikes. Yeah. And so with that, I'm an extremist, bro. And I do something, I go hard, I go all in. And so, you know, by the, by the end of the night, I was smoking it, snorting it. I was taking, you know, a, a massive amounts of it and I became extremely addicted to it up into the point where I was actually put into uh, drug induced psychosis, pretty, pretty crazy where I was that guy on the side of the road, yelling at cars. I was talking to myself. I was seeing things, seeing demons, seeing monsters, seeing my God. dad in trees, like shadow people. It was crazy. Like wow. I was one of those crazy people. And, um, you know, then I got, I got picked up by the cops and I went to Sac County jail for you know, a few weeks, but in there was the first time I, I had been sober, um, since I was eight years old. And it, it was the first time I realized like, you know what, this isn't that bad, which was kind of a cool experience. So with that in mind, when I got released, I, I did fall again. I did, you know, get back into it, but I ended up picking up all my stuff and driving up to Truckee, California in the summertime. And I lived out 10 miles down a dirt road and I, I slept, you know, under a tarp for four months um, by myself. I didn't really see anybody. I cleaned myself up and I just separated myself from the world completely. I cleaned myself up. And then that's actually where I met my wife. And, you know, we, we, we were pretty good. We partied some sometimes and it wasn't crazy, but we ended up getting into alcohol pretty hardcore. And so that was my next venture. So I, I spent my whole life just chasing just the next high, you know, the next thing. And it was all related to like, I couldn't, I couldn't really face my pain. I couldn't really face what happened. Um, you know, up until the point where like we, my wife gets pregnant 
and with our son, Levi, he's four years old now, but he, you know, she quit drinking cause she was pregnant. She quit doing everything. She cleaned up real well and just changed her whole life. And I was, you know, my son was one years old and I was still just drunk. I was drinking a hand, uh, a fifth a night of whiskey every single night for about four years. I did. And, you know, got to the point where my, my wife was sick of it, bro. She's sick of it. I, I, I hurt them. I was just toxic, absolutely toxic victim, you know, victim mentality. And, you know, they decided I wasn't fit to be a, a father or a husband. And, you know, that was the moment they left. And I was there again, like left with nothing. I was just like, all right. Like, and so I started getting back into the hard stuff. I started getting, you start drinking more and I, I got worse uh, up until about four months later, it came to a point where I decided I was going to take my life. I was going to kill myself. Um, and I put that gun in my mouth, my, my pistol in my mouth, and I put my finger on the trigger and I hadn't left a note. I hadn't called anyone. So I knew this wasn't a, a cry for help anymore. I, I had made the decision and it was that moment with that gun. You know, I, it was like a realization, like this is the end. And I, that pushed me to a point where I can actually see that I was a person that put me here, not my wife, not that lady that molested me, not my family, but it was me. Like my actions brought me to this point and I was now responsible. And it was the first time I ever took responsibility for my actions ever. And that was also the moment I realized if I can change what I do today, it can change my future outcome. And out of selfishness, I would, you know, I had that, that vision where my son was calling someone else dad and my wife was being loved by a man better than I ever could. It just broke me, bro. And I just decided, I was like, I'm going to give this a try. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give this a year. And if my life's not worth living, I'm going to kill myself. And so I, I committed and obviously it takes time to become extremely disciplined, takes time to get better and takes failure. But I started implementing certain steps in my life that worked for me. Um, and I started slowly getting better. And within six months, man, I had gained a ton of weight back. You know, I was about a hundred, 140, 145 pounds when she left me and you know, I, I, right now I'm 230 pounds. <laughs> I started, yeah. I started going to the gym. I started eating. Um, and I, I kind of used my appetite as a way of accountability because I realized that anything that ruins my appetite is negative, whether it's stress, anxiety, depression, or drugs or alcohol. If, if I notice like an alteration in my appetite, I know that something's wrong. And so I did, I kind of used that as a foundation to stay as disciplined as I could. Mm -hmm. If my appetite was good and I was eating my meals, like I was doing good, I was on the right track. And man, I pushed this, I, I, I pushed through this path for uh, long enough to where I could call my wife and explain to her like where I'm at now. And she took me back and man, I, I've been with them ever since. Wow. And I've been, I've been doing so good. And, you know, my built my coaching program off the exact steps that I took to get from that point to, you know, back to my wife. And, you know, I implement those steps into my clients' lives and it, it transforms them too. It doesn't matter where they're at. It doesn't matter where they're at. Like if they're successful or in the hole, 
it changes their life. And so I just realized that discipline is a universal language that does work for everybody. And, you know, I built a, a successful business off of it and I'm able to provide for my family, stay alcohol drug free and, and a huge influence to thousands of people. Wow. What an amazing story. Thank you so much for being authentic and sharing that full thing. I, I really love the work of Mark Manson, especially in the book, The Art of The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And he talks a yeah. little bit about fault and responsibility. And you mentioned, you know, taking responsibility for your own actions. And I I, I look at that, you know, seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid and I just I want to give him a hug. Like he need, the right. kids need some love and some understanding. And it's not his fault. All the things that would, you know, happen to him you know, getting into drugs and the alcohol and all that stuff, but, but realizing that fault is different than responsibility and taking responsibility says, well, I didn't cause this to happen, but now it's my job to get out of it. It's, it's such an important lesson in life that we all need to learn. It's step one, bro, is taking responsibility. Whether, whether you put yourself in that situation or somebody else did, like you still reacted to it, you know, and you could at least take responsibility for the reaction and how that's dragging you down. Yeah, that's right. You mentioned it was kind of a gradual process to get your life back. You did also mention some of the steps that helped you along the way and things that you help your clients with today. What were some of those steps? What were some of the components um, that you decided to bring in that helped you kind of clean up your life? Um, well, like I said, obviously fitness and nutrition were a part of it um, and, and just living a healthy lifestyle. So the only way that I could go to the gym consistently and eat consistently was if I was off you know, not doing the bad habits anymore. And so I use that as like an initial step to gain the discipline to let go of the old habits and, and stay on this path. And then I started waking up earlier and, you know, I wake up and I, I started to create like a vision for myself. So I'm definitely a visionary. And that's what I teach my clients is like to find your vision and your why, what is going to drive you, what's your focal point and what are you trying to achieve? And then with that vision, which for me at the moment was to be back with my wife and my kid and be a great husband and a great father, that was it. That's all I wanted. And so I, um, I reverse engineered what that would take on a daily basis to get there. So for me, obviously getting rid of any habits that keep me from being that person and be gaining, you know, gaining the, the good habits and being consistent at the good habits and learning new things, new coping mechanisms. So I can be that person. So fitness, nutrition, um, learning like human behavior and how my mind works, right. Understanding myself, uh, visual visualization. And I had a lot of self-doubt issues, like very bad. So I had no self-worth, no self-love. And so a lot of affirmations and, you know, positive self-affirmations and self-talk. And man, I, I could probably list like <laughs> a bunch of other things. I didn't really get into like time management or anything like that. till I started my business. When I started my business, my routine changed, everything changed because I had a bigger fish to fry. But what I teach is that, you know, no routine should be the same. The routine should serve you. So it should change as you with, with whatever struggle you're going through. If that makes sense. Yeah, totally. No, some of the, yeah. I mean, all of the things that you mentioned are such wonderful steps, but if you tried to do all of them all at once, that would just 
be too overwhelming. You're never going to, you're not going to be able to change those habits because they're so bigger. There's too many of them. You know, I think about, you know, my journaling habit, I've got a nice journaling habit that I've maintained every single day for a few months now, but it really only started with writing a paragraph and leaving it at that. And then writing another paragraph the next day. And you have to start with these habits really, really small so that they, they become fixed before you even really know it. They're just part of your life over time. Exactly. And if you're consistent with it, you see almost an immediate result and it starts building and building off each other. Right. And, you know, there's some weeks where I'm, I'm doubtful of myself. And so I implement self-affirmations and then there's some weeks I don't have like really any struggles at all and I'm, I'm doing really well. And so I just get straight to work. Right. So it all depends. And that's kind of what I teach my clients is to, to really become more aware of yourself, your mentality, your emotions and build off of that. Yeah. Interesting. You mentioned that fitness was kind of the first thing that you were really drawn to that in nutrition. What principles did you start following? Had you lifted weights in the past? Had you gone to the gym in the past? What were you doing exactly? Yeah. I, my dad put me in wrestling when I was in sixth grade and I did that and I was actually really good at it because I was pretty violent. So he's like, you'll be good at this. And I loved it. Um, so that, you know, being a wrestler was, you know, probably a spark of a lot of it, just having, you know, discipline, not to mention my father was a Folsom prison guard for like 30 years. And so like my whole life was discipline. I just didn't listen. Um, I, I did, you know, I was diagnosed bipolar too. And, you know, at a young age, every time, you know, I was emotionally abused or called names, I would flip out. I'd get so angry to the point where it almost, it hurt. I couldn't control it. Wow. And the one thing that I learned at, at the age of eight was if I go in the garage and I, and I do pull-ups off the rafters until I can't do them anymore, that the anger subsided. And so I, I learned those tools a long time ago. And that's why it was easy to, to step out and, and try and, and implement those things again. Now that I wasn't using drugs to cope, I was like, I just remembered like fitness helped. And so fitness has kind of been a part of my life forever and in a lot of ways. And you now I've always, I was always very active and I was, I was never inside. I was always outside. And so that, that just kind of came naturally to me. Um, and when I started to work out, when I got off drugs and I started to eat food again, cause I didn't really eat for 16 years, bro. <laughs> I, I realized like my genetics were, were better than I thought. And I was putting on muscle quickly and I was like, wow, like there's something to this. Like, this is like, I'm good at this. And so I started researching and learning like what food does, what types of macros do what. And I started to implement just more food and different types of food. And I watched myself grow. And it was like the first skill that I had that I just enjoyed a lot. What things did you think you understood about fitness, the fitness side of things? We'll get to nutrition later, but as far as fitness fitness principles, what things did you think you knew at the time, but you have since evolved your thinking about? Man, I when I I've always looked at fitness as as a mentality thing. If you if you go read like my Instagram posts or any of my social media, I don't talk about fitness. Like, I don't consider myself a fitness coach. I do. I use it as a tool to better know the brain and to master the mind. And so every time I went into the gym, it was like, no, nah, I need to get these emotions out. And so I would go and just kind of push myself to the limit every single day. And I, I still do that 
in a way. Plus now I, I do focus on aesthetics a lot in my own personal life. Um, and so just really learning like the, the human body a lot more and, you know, obviously how to shape it correctly. So you look a certain way. I love bodybuilding and, you know, just, you know, form and stuff like that, but I don't really dig deep into fitness itself. I, I take it very simply, like with my clients, I'm like, no, fitness is simple. Nutrition is simple. You eat, you work out. Like I just tell them what to do. What we're really trying to dig into is the mindset, right? So that they can excel. So yeah, a little bit about what I do. I work with entrepreneurs, business owners, and CEOs um, precisely. And I, I help them reach peak performance through fitness, nutrition, and mindset. So um, they're usually struggling with the glass ceiling or blind spots, and they feel like they can't grow. And I help them work through that by increasing their discipline and performance. Mm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so exercise and and fitness is just the the way that you can show your self-discipline. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah. That, and when you, when you work on your body, it's going to give you the the fastest result compared to anything else. Cause you go work on your finances. It might take a few years. It might take 10 years. If you go, you know, work on a car, it might, might take a couple months, who knows, but when you work on your body and you dial it incorrectly, you start seeing results almost immediately. And so when a lot of people like deal with self-doubt, what, what that does, or maybe they can't hit their goals because they don't have hope in their abilities to do something. What I do is I kind of use the body to show them that their work brings a result and it, it, it starts to open up their mind and their business and their family and how, if they take control of something that fully, that they're going to see a result. So it, you know, starts with the body and then it starts to reflect on everything. Yeah. I have certainly found that to be the case as well. I've heard you talk about yeah. in the past intentionally suffering. And I think fitness is a good example of intentional suffering. You're doing something that may Absolutely. or may not be super comfortable in the moment, but it's serving the purpose to make you be a stronger person, more resilient, more ready to handle stress. Can you comment a little bit about that? Yeah, man, you said it pretty perfectly there. And, and you know that because you do it, right? To explain it to someone that doesn't really understand like why you do that. It's if you kind of, if you know, David Goggins, right. He's all about it. Feel the pain, stay hard, whatever. What I like to do is I like to start my day off with it. So waking up and never not pressing snooze, getting your ass up, heels to the ground and what, and get out of the bed. And the first thing that, you know, the first feeling of that is you're, you're putting yourself in a suffering place because instead you could be sleeping in your comfortable bed. You could be hitting that snooze button over and over again until it's, you know, you're ready for work. Next thing you know, you have a little bit of time to get to work, get your food, and then you go to work unprepared, stressed out and soft. But when you get out of bed an hour, an hour and a half, two hours early, you don't hit snooze, you get up and you say, fuck comfort. And you go, you hit that stair climber for 30 minutes with a hoodie on it prepares your mind for, you know, that to, to stay uncomfortable throughout the day. But man, if I hit the snooze button in the morning, I'm snoozing throughout the whole day. I'm, I'm seeking comfort throughout the whole day. So it really switches you from a, a, a want for purpose instead of a want for pleasure, mm. which man in the world of success, that's, that's the mindset you need. 
Right. Well, it's so ironic because both of the scenarios you described is suffering, like living is suffering. It's not ever yeah. comfortable. And so it, yeah. it, it sounds like you're finding ways to choose the comfort or discomfort and and use it to make you stronger versus being uncomfortable, being late for work, that stressed person being soft, that's suffering right. too, just in a way that is going to make you feel like the victim versus you going and creating it for yourself. Absolutely. There's two types of pain, right? There's a pain of discipline and the pain of regret. Like choose or hard. You've probably heard that. Yeah. Like it, life, life is hard, whether you choose to be lazy or you choose to be successful, but with one, there's a reward at the end of it and there's no regret. And that's, that's it. Either way, you're going to suffer. And I, my whole first half of the life of my life, I chose pleasure. I chose to, to regret later. And now it's, I've switched completely. I'm an extremist. Like, like I said, I'm bipolar. It's like, I'm either one or the other and I've switched. And it's like, no, I want to feel the pain purposely. I want to create chaos in my life purposely for a reason so that I don't have to go find it. If that makes sense. Like, I believe that stagnation is man's worst enemy. And if we're stagnant, if we're bored, if we're not productive, if we're not challenging ourselves, we're going to find chaos. We're going to find drama, whether it's alcohol, beer, drug addictions, relationship problems. Next thing you know, you see people and they're wondering why their life's all fucked up. It's because they weren't, they weren't focused on growth. Right. In my opinion, uh, when you choose to suffer, for the sake of growth, you know, over choosing to suffer over loss, you know, for the sake of loss or for pleasure, you're going to find your way in, into that, that vision or life that you probably wanted in the first place. Yeah. That's so interesting. Very well said. You mentioned nutrition, obviously being a cornerstone of what you've done. What, what things have you learned there along the way, uh, as far as uh, sound nutrition principles? Yeah, man. I, I always keep it simple with food. Very simple. I, with my clients, I, I understand that not everybody can be strictly disciplined like I am. And I, I get that. I, like I said, I work with business owners. They want to enjoy their life. They want to enjoy their food. And so I, I have a licensed nutritionist build them a plan, but I, you know, the, the clients that come in there, they're coming for discipline and they just, they're struggling in life. It's like, no, let's get it. Let's keep it strict. You know, chicken and rice, vegetables, beef, potatoes, shakes, bodybuilding uh, type diet. And the reason why is because if you can, if you can diet or you can stick to eating the same thing every day, like a dog, like you can do anything. It's one of the hardest things to do. And I believe that discipline is acquired through your stomach. You know, how many, I walk outside, I can smell French fries from a mile and a half away, bro. You know, and I, it's most people would be floating over there, like in, in the Snow White movie, like they'd go buy it, they door dash it. People have a hard time controlling what they eat, and it shows a lack of discipline. But when you can control what you ingest, and that means everything drugs, alcohol, soda, food you'll notice that you, you're going to be also choosing better things in life. And it, it goes with the same, um, the same system I was using, like choosing purpose over pleasure, like eating for function, not for taste. Right. And, and just looking at just changing your perspective on, on food, changing your perspective on pain, changing your perspective on life in general. 
and, and kind of looking at the long view instead of like, what can make me happy now? With your clients and nutrition, food is really tough to nail down with people yeah. because it is so emotional. People have food addictions. Um, if you want to call it that people, you know, have families and parties and all these things. How, in what ways can you help instill more discipline for people when it comes to eating? Because that can be a real challenge. Yeah. The biggest thing that would help them is their vulnerability, first of all. And this is what every client has a hard time with, especially in an online platform is they don't want to admit that they're struggling. So if you, if you look at my posts, I'm, I'm extremely vulnerable. And so the people that come to me tend to want to, they want to open up to me. And I love that. And that's the whole like foundation of my, my program, my businesses is trust. Because if I can share my story and I can be vulnerable with what I'm going through, then they'll do the same to me. So we put them on a plan and they go, they go along. They're like, you know, they're excited. I'm going to lose a bunch of weight and I'm going to get healthy. And then two weeks comes around and all of a sudden they disappear. You're like, you know, where'd you go? But the ones that say, Hey man, I'm struggling. What I do is we get on a call and we dig deep into their mind and we're like, what is it actually happening here? Why, why every two weeks, like on the dot, right? And it's a mental limitation. It's a blind spot. They can't see, but it usually has, it usually dials down to something that happened in their past or how they handle their emotions. And so I teach them different methods to do that. And I help them understand themselves a lot more. So I, I'm kind of like a life coach, a therapist in a way, you know, a little bit of Tony Robbins and a, and a little bit of fitness, <laughs> if that makes sense. I, and, and it works, man, we break those patterns and they never go back. I got clients that struggled hard with the, with the program and we just use it as a tool to show them what their, what their weaknesses are. And we work through them. Mm, that's great. You mentioned a few tools already, um, but maybe you could go in a little bit greater detail of what some of the most helpful, I guess, like mindfulness tools are to help change somebody's mentality. Yeah, man. I think that most people in America, especially right now, probably deal with self-doubt the most. And so I can, I can kind of hit on that. Just first of all, it, to be more mindful and to help your mentality at all, the first thing you have to do is be aware that there's even a problem. I think self-reflection is the biggest and best tool we could ever have. And literally being honest with yourself and looking in the mirror and asking yourself, like, why, why am I not growing? Where, where am I stumped? Like, what, what am I doing wrong? How am I handling my emotions? And when you could sit there in the quiet, which I don't see people do this anymore. And, you know, with no stimulation and dig deep into your mind, your attitude and your actions and ask yourself why you can find the answers really, really easily. It's, it's kind of a trip. It's, our society has a hard time reflecting and I'm trying to, to teach people this because it's my most useful tool. Cause every day I sit down and like you have your journal, I have mine as well, but I try to figure out where I went wrong in my attitude. You know, what caused that bad attitude and how I can deflect from that next time, not deflect, but how I can control it next time. So my whole goal is to teach people how to be aware of their emotions and how not to react to them if they're negative. But the only way you can do that is by sitting down with yourself and understanding what are your, what are the emotions you deal with the most and why do they come up? When you can do that, 
you obviously open up a can of worms to the past, most likely, but a lot of the answers are found in your past. And when you can work through those, whether it's trauma or, you know, whether it's something that you were taught and you break that, you never have to deal with it again. Like I've seen people with massive self-doubt, including myself, completely just become the most confident people because they first understood it and they figured out where it came from. And we, we kind of went back and either forgave that moment or we learned new beliefs that would counteract it. Sure. You talk a lot also about a growth mentality. And I think that leads to, um, a lack of that leads to a lot of that self-doubt that you're talking about. Like if I, if I want to start a business, but I don't have the skills necessarily to do that yet right now, then that might come in a form of self-doubt and I might be afraid of a failure, for example, talk, talk yeah. about the importance of having a growth mindset and knowing that even if we don't have a particular skill set, currently we can go out and, and, you know, grow that over time. Right. I think the answer to that is all based on what you know and understand outside of your four walls. Right. So we're like, we're raised in a home with four walls, a box, and we're fed things from people we know. You know, now it's a little different because we have like the internet, Google, you could literally research anything, but we still, we still limit ourselves to what our, you know, our parents taught us and, and what we learned is right and wrong. And you have to step out of your home. You have to go see what is out there in the world. And when you, when you kind of get a taste of what, what's out there, you get a taste of what's possible. And that's exciting surrounding yourself with people that have a higher temperature than you will raise the temperature of your own house. You know, it, it'll, it'll create growth inside of you. But if you're surrounding yourself with people that are, that have limiting beliefs, just like you, you know, why would you have a growth mentality? So, you know, finding ways to plant more seeds and, you know, getting out there and, and getting the knowledge to, to, to water those seeds so that they can grow is the biggest thing. I, I hope that made sense. I kind of use a, you know, a few metaphors there, but no, that was very helpful. It reminds me of, um, a part of the untethered soul where a guy decides he wants to build a building, you know, in the middle of a, a field, a really beautiful spot, but he feels so safe in right. the building and it eventually becomes dark and he just stays in the building all the time and kind of forgets that outside there's free light coming in all the time, but he, he doesn't get to go see it because he's inside his own wall and kind of makes the same point. Like you have to step outside of that. If you ever want to break right. through your self-limiting beliefs. Absolutely. And it's uncomfortable, right? It's uncomfortable to be even told that you don't know any, you don't know that much. Like there's so much out there we don't know. And it's hard to admit right there. And it's uncomfortable to go be social. It's uncomfortable to go put yourself in situations where you might doubt yourself more. So that's like, it, it, that's where the fitness and nutrition comes in. If you're used to making yourself uncomfortable every day, you're going to be, you know, more likely to do it in other ways too. Yeah. Wow. Well, speaking of uncomfortable, can you tell us the story, you know, back in your own personal story of how your coaching business even came to be? Because it sounds like even that was pretty tumultuous and scary when that first happened. Yeah. Um, so I was back with my, my wife and kid house. So we're doing really good. I was a, a electrical foreman. Uh, I worked for a company for six years and I was very loyal to them and they were giving me more opportunity. It was a great career, bro. I was going to go pretty big. And one day I got a call and 
they told me my, I'm laid off. That's it. I'm done. And I was just like, wow. Well, you know, like that feeling where like I was loyal to you and you just said goodbye and you're not even going to give me like a two week notice. And, you know, so really that kind of stuff really aggravated me. And was that during this pandemic? It was right when it started. Yeah. Right when it started. And I was just like, wow. And so what I did is I went and I went and found another job as an electrician and I got there and the way I am, I, I challenge, I'm challenging if you meet me. I'm, I'm have an aggressive demeanor. Um, and if anybody has like ego or maybe they're a little sensitive, like my, I, I'm not saying this in a way of like bragging, but people kind of get insecure around me. That's a fact. And that's, I've always been like that. And I kind of hate it because people have like this first instinct that I'm a bad person and I'm not like, I'm not at all. And so I wish people can see it, but it's just how it is. It's how my dad is. It's how my brother is. And I got there and within two weeks, all the guys on the crew told the boss a bunch of lies and I got, I got fired. Wow. And I was just like, again, I was like, I don't know if I cuss on here, but I was like, fuck this, man. This is like, I can't feed my family. Like I'm sick of having somebody tell me how much money I can make, how long I can work and when I can work. Like I was done. And I, I told myself right then and there, I was like, I'm, I'm never going to let another man control my life. I'm going to be in full control of everything I could possibly control. And, and that's just e- becoming more disciplined in my opinion. And just being, just being my own leader and being the leader of my family. And so I decided because in the past uh, few months, two friends came up to me because they seen how I changed my body and they're like, Hey, can you help me out with, you know, weight loss? And I had two friends I built plans for, and they both lost 40 to 50 pounds in three months. And I realized I was really good at this and thank God they did the work because if they didn't, I wouldn't have had this seed planted. And so I decided, I was like, Hey babe, like I'm going to try to start my own coaching business. And I went and I started telling my story and at first I was just a fitness and nutrition coach and I hated it, bro. I, I did not just, I didn't like talking about how much protein you can eat <laughs> and, you know, and like how, you know, how do you do your meal planning? And I, I just, I didn't like it. So I started to implement my story and the mentality dude, within six months of starting the business, I built a six figure business and I was, I was like meant to be. And since then I've been on some of the biggest podcasts in, in the world and I've been able to, to help a lot of people, hundreds of people and, you know, you know, have a, have a life where I can choose to do what I want, how much money I make and how much, you know, how much I get to work. So full turnaround from four years ago when I had a gun in my mouth. Yeah. That's amazing. What's your vision for where you want to take the company in the future? Man, I I want to use it as a vehicle, um, for a bunch of, you know, I want to, I want to live the entrepreneur life and I want to start up more companies for sure. Uh, I'd love to invest in real estate and get into that. I just like to challenge myself, but all in all, like I I'd love to create a movement in a way, um, maybe an apparel business with a message behind it and, and just kind of, you know, motivate, inspire people and help them to live the, their life to the fullest, you know, and I also want to, uh, start like a nonprofit to help women that have been sex trafficked, you know, recover and stuff like that. Cause my wife, it's something that she's passionate about. So I, I want to make enough money to do, I'll act, I want to make a ton of money 
let me rephrase that. I want to make so much money that I can help hundreds of thousands of people and give back, like, and just live, live a servant's life, right? Like appropriately. And man, I just want to, I just want to spread my message everywhere. That's great. That's all I want. That's great. One of our past guests, Jeremy Herder, um, said to us, basically, if you, if you don't want more money, it just means you haven't given enough yet. And I think that's a really cool way to think of it. I want to go out and work hard and, you know, create a business that's providing value for people. That's really helpful to then generate money so that then you can go out and help other people. I think that's amazing. A hundred percent. And I, it kind of stemmed from, I used to have a fear of money because I've been homeless. I've been broke my whole life. And like money was always like, oh, I'm not going to have enough. And I had the scarcity effect with it. And what I, how I fixed that is I started giving 10% of it away to, to like my church and stuff like that. And it, it let me, it made me let go and, and realize that it, first of all, it's just a tool. And like, I'm lucky to have what I have. And I, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian man and I love God. And, and it helped me to have faith that this money was given to me for more than just my needs and wants and more flow, you know, more started flowing in. And it's kind of amazing how that works when you take, you know, the scarcity away from money and stop looking at it, like something you have to have to live and you're unhappy without it and start looking at it. Like it's abundance. And it, you know, I believe that God, you know, God is a source of my supply and he'll take care of every need. I just need to do what's right you know, what he needs me to do and you great things are happening. And I mean, they are, it's, it's not only helped me, but it's helped my clients a lot too. you know, facing fears and changing limiting beliefs. For somebody who is just listening to your story now, obviously there's so many different takeaways, but if you could distill one takeaway that you would want the listener to take from your own personal story, what would that be? Be grateful, man. Be grateful for the bare necessities of life. Uh, like that simple, your breath, the clothes on your back, the food in your fridge and the shelter over your head. If you have those four things and you can be like happy with that at all times and keep reminding yourself how, you know, how it would be without it. <laughs> like if that's enough to fuel you, then you're always going to win. Right. But if it's because you don't have a BMW, then you, and that makes you sad and you want to be like everyone else on Instagram, like, you're going to fail. So if you can learn to be grateful for your breath alone, like you are unstoppable. It's so easy to get caught up in news cycles and stories of, you know, terrible times all over the world without stopping to consider those simple things and, you know, walk outside or breath of fresh air or, you know, just seeing the ducks by the lake or whatever it is near you. There's so much, I I truly honestly believe there's so much more good going on all the time than bad. It's just that the bad generally grabs the attention and we can miss some of those simple things. What a wonderful piece of advice. I absolutely love that. Eric Rogers, where can people go to find you and find your work and connect with you? Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm on Instagram the most. So if you want to follow me, give me a follow and message me. I'd love to hear what you think about the story and, and how it affected you. Uh, the real underscore Eric Rogers. I'm sure you'll put a link below. Um, uh, and then I have a website. It's rogersfitnessacademy.com. You want to see a little bit more about what I do if you're an entrepreneur or CEO. Yeah, that's fantastic. We will absolutely link to both of those in the show notes. Eric Rogers, owner of Rogers Fitness Academy. Thank you so very much for 
going through what you had to go through. Like I said, I just want to go back and give that kid a hug. Um, but you've learned so many amazing lessons and, and so glad you learned about discipline and, and mindset and mentality and all that stuff that just really helps change people's lives. And you're going out there and doing that. And, and you took a scary situation and, and turned it to your advantage in a way that you can help people. So thank you so, so very much for all of your work and your life. And thank you for taking the time to be on our show today. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, Casey, and thank you for having me, brother. Absolutely. It was an honor. And this has been another episode of Boundless Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to Boundless Body Radio. It's really inspiring and amazing to see some of the reviews that we have been getting and also to receive so many messages and emails about how these episodes have improved our listeners' lives. And so thank you so very much. We are so happy to bring these episodes to you and provide them for free. And we really hope that they help you in your life. Uh, we have just passed two major milestones, which is absolutely mind-blowing to me. And basically, we did both of these in pretty much the exact same day. We have just passed 100,000 downloads worldwide of Boundless Body Radio, and we have just launched our 250th episode, which is absolutely amazing. Like I said, I never imagined we could reach that many people. We always want to keep you updated on things that we're doing on our website. So if you go to myboundlessbody.com, you can always see what we're up to. This month, we have a link that you can go and schedule a functional movement screen, which we do virtually over Zoom. A functional movement screen is a series of seven different movements and three different clearing tests, which is designed to find weak links in the body, such as muscle imbalances and joint stability issues. It's a really great tool for discovering inefficient movement. And even if you're not experiencing pain in certain areas of your body, it's something that can prevent injury later on. Some muscles need to be stretched, some need to be strengthened, and we can help you create a plan around that so that you can stay healthy and continue to move well for the rest of your life. So again, you can go and schedule that at myboundlessbody.com. You will also see the other services that we offer. You can always schedule a complimentary 30-minute consultation with us to really chat about anything that you like. And remember, if you are enjoying Boundless Body Radio, please take a minute, give us a rating or review on Apple. It really helps get this passion project out to other people. And thank you again for tuning into Boundless Body Radio.